sports fans, and welcome to the 5th Quarter Tulane Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Patrick of 5th Quarter Tulane. Now, normally there would be a longer period of time in between my podcasts, but with so many developing stories, I decided to fire one up real quick to talk about the recent happenings over at Tulane University. First and foremost, we have the news of the Jet Duffy decommitment. It appeared he was going to enroll at Tulane. Everyone said it was a lock, and then apparently because of admissions issues or whatever, it fell apart, you know, at the last minute. Could have had an impact transfer from a Power 5, and now we don't. Coaching staff is back at square one now. If they still feel the need to add a transfer quarterback from the portal, they may have to go to their second or third options if they have any more options at all at this point. So it really puts us behind the eight ball as far as that's concerned. Now, when the news broke and the reason why the the inside source claimed that it was academics related, Tulane fans just went into complete meltdown, which is understandable given the history of the school when it comes to athletics and athletic success. You have you have a school that whenever it has got a little bit of something good going for them, immediately lets you down. Uh, examples, um, de-emphasizing athletics in the 60s. Uh, Tulane administration decided that athletic success wasn't really conducive to the overall um, mission of the university, which is uh, to educate and enrich people. It wanted to focus more on academics and spend less time and energy money on that athletics. So they de-emphasized the athletic programs, uh, left the SEC, and everything uh, Tulane did athletically from that forward from that point forward kind of declined. You see the the programs kind of started to falter on the field, specifically the football program really sent them into a tailspin. And then uh, later on, see the series of poor decisions you have uh, immediately following the greatest season in school history, 1998, the, the mastermind of that prolific Tulane offense interviewed for the job, green tie and all, Rich Rodriguez, he, he wanted the job. He was prepared to take the Tulane job, and they passed him over for Chris Selfa, who obviously flamed out over time. That was a big mistake. And then you have the 2003 Athletic Review, where the administration was uh, taking a vote on whether to even continue playing Division One athletics at all. The Tulane fans and boosters and supporters of the program had to come together to save Tulane Athletics. All of these things have really left a sour taste in the mouths of Tulane supporters and have driven away a lot of fans and donors over the years. So, obviously, when it became reported that the Jet Duffy transfer was 
killed because of admissions. People just lost their shit. Now, uh, according to other people inside the program and uh, rumors on message boards and what have you, it, it may not be that cut and dry. There, there may be more, uh, you know, more to this than meets the eye. Actually, uh, when you think about what's been going on, uh, reserve big man Boa Jang being dismissed from the Tulane University basketball team for uh, accusations of rape, and then you have a guy. Jet Duffy, who's had some problems with the the law in the past, was accused of sexual assault, not found guilty, you know. But still, there there's questions about his past. It it may have just been that they decided it was too much of a risk to take him in at this point in time. Where if he he does something, if he gets in trouble on campus or sexually assaults somebody, Tulane could potentially get Baylord you know the the NCAA loves to make examples out of small programs and they would come at Tulane with a vengeance it it begs the question would it is one good season really worth the the risk of taking on this player and and who knows maybe he's changed over time but the question is still there now the other question that fans and uh, other people have been asking is how did it get so far? If they didn't plan on taking him, then why did why did it get to the point where he's taking his picture with a Tulane jersey on? It's frustrating. Really, it is. And it's not a great look for the program for it to end this way, but it would have been a, a worse look for the program if they would have taken him and it would have backfired. So while while I'm disappointed about the Jet Duffy decommitment, I've accepted it. Um, I've forgiven Tulane, and I understand. So I'm just moving, moving on. I'm moving forward. I'm all about Keon Howard, who... I have gone on the record and said that Keon Howard would compete for the starting job if you know he wasn't encouraged to transfer out or what have you because he was a serviceable starter at Southern Mississippi. You know he was a big time recruit coming out of Laurel High School, won the Mississippi 5A state championship at Laurel. He played you know um, sparingly as a true freshman, made some mistakes, you know, had, had some bad interceptions, re- really progressed in that uh, 2017 season. He, uh, over over uh, seven starts, he threw for over 2,000 yards and uh, nine touchdowns, nine interceptions, showed a lot of athletic ability. You um, look at his highlight reel, which I've posted on this page, you can see him outrunning an entire SEC defenses and uh, hard nose running up the middle. He, he understands the the mesh point of the read option, which is a huge, huge part of uh, Tulane's scheme currently. And he has a has a rocket arm. He's just, he's just a big-time talent. It's unknown uh, why he couldn't beat out McMillan, maybe, because, you know, McMillan at times was 
very average at the quarterback position. Nothing taken in the way against McMillan. You know, he's a great leader, one of the greatest two-lane players. But uh, quarterbacking, um, downfield passing, he, he struggled. So it's uh, kind of disconcerting that Keon Howard, if he's the guy, couldn't uh, beat out McMillan. And that may be why Tulane's staff was looking for other options to fill out the quarterback position. As of right now, though, Keon Howard, he's the guy. He's our quarterback one, unless some other options emerge. One of the other players on the roster wins the job. They're uh, Christian Daniels or incoming freshman Justin Ibiator or Michael Pratt or... As mentioned earlier, if Tulane decides to go the route of transfer portal and Willie Fritz is able to pull that rabbit out of the hat. At this point, they're pretty late in the game and they'll be behind the curve where other schools who are addressing that need right now. It's transfer quarterback is a very, very hot topic right now in college football. It's something that most programs are going to go after one because why not? Either A, you, you need a starter, or you lost yours at graduation or the draft, or B, you want to add depth. So we'll see how this all plays out right now. And the other topic I want to talk about, and it's something I've talked about in my other segment and something I've talked about on Twitter is the Will Hall rumors to Oregon. And I was so, so, so wrong about that. And I apologize to Tulane fans. I I really try my very best when I try to gain information about these kinds of things, about these developments. It was looking like Moorhead and uh, Jedfish were running away with it, running away with the job. And my, you know... My Tulane sources, who, you know, some may question if I have reliable Tulane sources, I'll tell you that the the number one guy is a Tulane alum and booster, one of the Greeny backers, who's been supporting the program since the 1970s. And, you know, he's very close to Tulane and somebody I ask about Tulane stuff all the time. And my number two guy basically locks himself in his room 24 hours a day and devotes his entire life to Tulane. And that's not even an exaggeration. Like, he only comes out of his room to to eat or go to the bathroom or, you know, go to the Armed Forces Bowl. So there's that. But ultimately, you know, Will Hall, he's gone. I mean, he's he's gone as fuck right now. He's in Oregon with his wife and family and they're expecting to announce him as their next offensive coordinator come Monday, maybe after the the championship game or sometime Tuesday during the day. But, you know, we're going to have to replace him, it looks like. Well, you know, Sean King, come on home, man. Would, would love to have you. I feel like that has to be Tulane's number one choice at this point in time for a Will Hall replacement, then, uh, you know, I think he's still the quarterback's coach at 
USF, he would get to to step up and job, number one. He'd make a little bit more money. And number two, come back home to his alma mater. So you can bet your sweet ass Sean King is going to be getting a call. And then you have uh, other candidates out there maybe looking for a job. Um, You know, um, Joe Moorhead, somebody, you know, referenced by one of the the fans of this page, somebody I would love to have. You may say, oh, you know, he sucked as a coach at Mississippi State. But before that, he was one of the hottest names as far as offensive coordinator. And his um his offense at Tulane with the kind of pieces that we have would be really fun to watch. Obviously, Moorhead, giving his coaching history, he may be looking around for a more prolific job somewhere. But if there's a dark cloud around him due to how things went down at Mississippi State, Tulane would be a great opportunity for him to bounce back. But for all intents and purposes, you would think Sean King be the number one target for offensive coordinator replacement. Now, um, other candidates right now are unknown. And, you know, technically, Will Hall is still the coordinator until he isn't. But I'm telling you, uh, according to inside Oregon sources, he, he's got one st- foot out of the door, and he's still hanging out around the Eugene area. That that would be something that Fritz will have to address going forward, find somebody to run the offense. And while we're on the topic of Tulane football, while there is a bit of uncertainty surrounding the program going forward they're still in a good position the recruiting as I've talked about has been really good we still have Willie Fritz you know he has a plan some sometimes the the obstacles at Tulane going to be a little difficult to overcome but he's shown over time that he's able to overcome adversity and lead this program into the promised land I, I feel like he's going to march forward and will will be good you know, I feel like the this team has a really bright future heading into the 2020 season. Now, other topics we're going to talk about. Let's talk about Tulane basketball right now. It just came off of a double-digit win at Temple. You know, they had just beaten Cincinnati earlier this season. They haven't beaten in forever. This was one of the absolute worst teams in NCAA basketball last season, and Ron Hunter has immediately transformed them into a pretty good team. You look at, they're probably around the middle, they're going to be around the top half of the AAC in basketball. That is a phenomenal improvement from last year, where they were just dreadful. He, he did it, really. The, the cupboard was really bare when he arrived. Mike Levy, Mike Dunleavy didn't leave him a lot to work with. Ron Hunter immediately went to work getting transfers you know, to Sean Hightower, uh, Christian Thompson, uh, Lawson out of Memphis, some of the biggest contributors to the team, obviously fo- following the departure of Caleb Daniels to Villanova. I feel like he's got this program full steam ahead right now. You could look at them. They could legitimately make a run if they make a deep run to the conference tournament or uh, hopefully 
even in NIT would be phenomenal. I would burn the house down if Tulane played any kind of postseason basketball after the last few seasons. And looking at their schedule going forward, the the AAC is a really tough conference. I believe every team in the conference has a winning record except for South Florida and even they're a pretty decent team. They they beat Connecticut, you know, obviously. And um Memphis is really good. Wichita State, phenomenal team, potentially like an Elite Eight type team there. You've got other good teams, uh SMU, UCF is decent, Tulsa is decent. Top to bottom, it's going to be really tough sledding for Tulane, but look at what they've done already and and the kind of talent that they have. I I still think they they could be around at least the middle of the pack, maybe top half, like I said, of the American Conference, and that would be just outstanding for Tulane and what it could do for recruiting when potential recruits in the New Orleans area and uh, other urban areas in the South see the kind of progress Tulane is making in basketball. And going back to Ron Hunter, man, I hope I hope that they do whatever it takes to keep him around. And don't piss him off. Whatever he wants, you know, put a blank check on his desk and ask, what do you want? Like, what can we do to help you out? Because that's the kind of turnaround that he's brought to this team, the kind of energy around Tulane basketball that hasn't been around since probably the the 90s, if we're being quite honest. Uh, Perry Clark, the the posse. You know, but back when Tulane was in the old Metro Conference, it, Tulane, the kind of defense they're playing is sort of similar to the defense they played in those old Metro Conference days. So th- there's a lot of good things to say about Tulane basketball. It's going to be really interesting to watch them as they finish out this season where this team can go. We're talking about Tulane sports. Another thing to talk about is Tulane baseball, where, you know, can they get back to the postseason? They haven't been since uh, 2015, 2016 with David Pierce departed for Texas. Here comes Travis Jewett, who, you know, very underwhelming at first. Had Tulane's first losing season in forever. And it started to, you know, improve a bit, getting better. The the offense, offensive numbers have been phenomenal, where the kind of uh, hitters he's developed, including, uh, you know, Cody Hosey, plays in the L.A. Dodgers organization, uh, and know one of the best home run hitting teams in the NCAA last season the the boogaboo has been pitching and the the ERAs have been really high the last few years they're slowly going down but you look at um Tulane fans of the program are used to having a solid pitching staff and a solid bullpen think about the 90s and the early 2000s the kind of pitchers we had you know including uh Micah Owings and uh, the guy who played for the Toronto Blue Jays, Aaron Loop. He, he was really good. You know, Z- Josh Zeed, the um, Preston Claiborne, who played for the uh, you know Yankees organization for a while. The kind of uh, you know MLB talent 
that Tulane had on their pitching staff. It really hasn't been around in quite some time. And unfortunately, one of their best recruits, Justin Campbell, got Jet Duffy, got denied because of admissions. And that's really uh, discouraging to see that when you think about what he could have brought to this Tulane pitching staff. Which, um, I, I still feel like the, the pitching staff is, is going to be okay the season. Um, Travis Travis Jewett is you know, a young guy, new head coach. He was an assistant at Vanderbilt. I believe this is his first head coaching opportunity. He strikes me as a guy that learns from his mistakes. He um, had his friend uh, Teague Dickinson, Teague Dickinson uh, had to let him go. Um, you know, the, the pitching staff was uh, struggling. Got a new pitching coach. Daniel Latham, former Tulane pitcher. He's a, a Tulane guy. Had a, had a lot of success at Tulane. He'll be tasked with uh, getting those uh, ERAs down and getting the pitchers to get the ball down and keep it in the park and not issue so many walks, which you look at the problem has been control, has been issuing walks and other teams hitting the long ball. So that that will be really critical going forward to improve the pitching if Tulane wants to return to the postseason. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention there's a game of minor significance tonight on ESPN, the national championship game between the LSU Tigers and the Clemson Tigers. I'll go on record and say that I think the Tigers are going to win. Ha, chuckle, chuckle, I'll be here all week. Anyway, um, yeah, LSU is a hot-button topic for Tulane fans. A lot of Tulane fans detest LSU, the, the outhouse up the river. They call it a lot of hatred from the old days playing them. Every year, a lot of people um, really uh, have a have a lot of hatred for LSU's program. Some Tulane fans may actually cheer for LSU. It would be a, a second team or whatever since they don't play anymore. They may never play in football again. But um, And then you have a lot of people like me who just don't care. I, I don't really care about LSU at all. I don't like them. I don't dislike them. It is what it is. But nevertheless, they're, they're playing in a game tonight. And the, the, way, the way I see it, I mean, obviously, national championship game is a heavyweight bout. You have LSU has had a phenomenal year. And regardless about how you feel about them, you have to be happy for Ed Orgeron. Had a lot of criticism when he was first hired. I mean, a lot of people hated the hire and everything that he's been through and what he's able to accomplish at LSU is nothing short of spectacular. And the kind of year they had, Heisman quarterback Joe Burrow, and the, the receivers, all of them probably going to the NFL. You know, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, um, Jordan Chase, uh, I think his name is, whatever, uh, Randy Moss's kid, the tight end there. They're unstoppable, the, the kind of – um, offensive weapons that they have and the defense which was much maligned has been really really good uh lately so they're they're an incredible team 
you know, a force to be reckoned with clearly. And on the other hand, you have Clemson and the amount of disrespect they're getting is just unbelievable how people are just writing them off. I mean, this is a Clemson team defending champions. They've won like a million games in a row, it seems like. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence, uh, if Joe Burrow goes number one this year, he'll go number one next year. Travis Etienne, one of my favorite players in college football, every time he touches the ball, you know, he has the threat of taking it to the house. Their receivers, T. Higgins, and the kind of defense they, they play under uh, Brent Venables. And their their coach, Dabo Sweeney, how he's built them into college football's latest dynasty. I mean, it. They're an incredible team, but you know, they're they're going to have their hands full. Their corners uh, defending LSU's receivers, NFL draft talent all over the field field for LSU. You know, and uh, obviously the development of Joe Burrow under uh, Joe Brady has been just phenomenal. How much. Joe Burrow has improved. The LSU offense, which really wasn't that special last year or for the last several years or forever, to be honest with you, how how much they've come along to be the best offense in SEC history. So I think, you know, strap in and get ready because this is going to be one hell of a football game. Now, I, I'm going to go with my prediction here. Drum roll, please. I think Clemson is going to shock the nation and beat LSU. When you think about Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence, defending champions, the the kind of team they have, and when you put a chip on their shoulder, I mean, I feel like they're going to to come out balls to the wall and they're going to take it straight to LSU. And I feel like they're going to shock the world. I really do. Um, You know, LSU's defense, they uh, they haven't played anybody with the kind of offense that Clemson had close I mean Alabama's offense was really good but uh Clemson the 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 things that they can do um all the different ways they can beat you the diversity of that offense is just unmatched in college football complement that with a defense that's just been outstanding they shut down Ohio State in that second half to win the college football playoff semifinal Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and predict Clemson wins in in a close game, like, you know, uh, 38 to 34 or something like that. But uh, anyway, moving forward, it's just sad to see it's finally over for college football. You know, that once that game wraps up, who whoever wins, that's it for college football until August. And we'll have to wait, you know, it, Next year is going to be really special. You've had all kinds of significant coaching hires, you know, across the country. You know, most recently, Mike Mike Leach, the Pirate, is now in the SEC. Tulane gets to play him, I believe, September 26th. We'll see how we stack up against them. And um, hopefully we can win. We need that kind of significant win against an SEC team on their own, nonetheless. You know, what, what that could do for Tulane. And, uh, you know, the, the American Conference, have, you know, Tulane is one of the good teams in the American Conference, and the American Conference had several re- really spectacular teams. Look at Memphis, the kind of year they had, how incredible they were. And uh, SMU, the kind of season they had after 
going uh, five and seven last year. The, the turnaround. It's going to be a tough conference in the American next year, and I'm really looking forward to it. And that will just about do it for this episode of the Fifth Quarter Tulane podcast. Uh, as always, I want to thank you for your support of Fifth Quarter Tulane, and thank you for your support of the Fifth Quarter College Football Network. Follow me on Twitter at FQ Tulane, and you can follow Fifth Quarter for all your college sports needs, NFL as well, at Fifth Quarter CFB. And I want to thank all my listeners again. Hope you all have a happy Monday and enjoy the game tonight. See you on the next episode.